The following program is being brought to you on the Voice America Business Channel. For more information about our network and to check our additional show hosts and topics of interest, please visit voiceamericabusiness.com. The Voice America Talk Radio Network is the worldwide leader in live Internet talk radio. Visit voiceamerica.com. The views and ideas expressed on the following program are strictly those of the host or guests and do not necessarily reflect the views and ideas held by the Voice America Talk Radio Network, its staff, and management. Welcome to the Money Answer Show with host Jordan Goodman. Whether you are starting out, deep into your retirement, or somewhere in between, the Money Answer Show has the know-how to help you. Now here's your host, Jordan Goodman. Welcome to the Money Answer Show. This is Jordan Goodman, your host. My guest this hour is Marco Santarelli. Uh, He is the president and founder of Narada Real Estate Investments, which is a nationwide provider of turnkey cash flow rental properties. Welcome to the show, Marco. Jordan, it's uh, great to be on here. Thank you. Let's start with your background a little bit in real estate, how you formed this company, and uh, you're also doing a podcast and blogs. Just kind of tell me a little bit about how you got into all of this. Well, it all depends on how far back you want to go. The reality is is that uh, I had taken some time off in the early 2000s after the dot-com implosion. Uh, I, I was a co-founder of um, a dot-com startup, if you will. And um, I didn't need to work at the time, but I thought, okay, I'm going to just take a step back. But then in the middle of 2003, I got an email from a famous author known as Robert G. Allen. Uh, if you did an Amazon search, you'd see he has a whole bunch of books and you know, bestsellers, but he's a real estate guru and he was putting on this seminar up in Anaheim. And I went to the seminar and realized that in two or three days, there were, uh, you know, thousand plus people whipping out their credit cards, paying $35,000 for these boot camps. So I decided to go ahead and go to these boot camps because I had nothing else to do at the time, but I love real estate and I know it's a true wealth creator. So to try try make a long story short, I started going on these boot camps and meeting hundreds of other investors and realized that at the end of the day, they still didn't know how to pull the trigger, how to properly find a deal, analyze a deal. And there was this opportunity there. So the light bulb in my head went off and I saw the opportunity to help these investors by providing them not the education alone, but the actual investment property that was completely uh, vetted, refurbished on a silver platter, if you will, completely turnkey. And that's how the whole concept of these turnkey cash flow properties came to be. And so exactly what services do you offer to people now and who want to get started in real estate, both educational and also providing them with deals? The core of the business are these turnkey cash flowing investment properties that are in different markets around the country. Uh, the education comes along with that for free because it's just part of the the process. The thing with it is this. The problem that a lot of people have is that they want to invest. They know they need to invest. But the issue is is they don't have the time, first and foremost. Uh, They don't want to be an active real estate investor as opposed to being a passive real estate investor. And the difference there is this. As a passive real estate investor... You own the property and you get all the benefits of the property, but you don't have to roll up your sleeves and pick up a hammer and start doing what you see on HGTV and all these other TV shows where you have these flipping shows. That's the active approach. Now, if you want to do that, that's great. You know, you, There's additional risks, but there's additional re- potential rewards. So you need to decide as an investor whether you want to be active or passive. If you want the active route, great. Find a distressed seller. Find a distressed um 
property, buy it, fix it up, use your money, use other people's money. Um, but you need to assemble the team. You need to assemble the knowledge. You need to have the time to do that. Uh, the passive approach is a lot easier for most people. So it's really mostly about time. That's why people come to us. Now, I'm not sure if I'm f answering your question, Jordan. I apologize. So what you do is only the passive part. You do not do the active part. Is that correct? We do as a company, but you as an investor do not. So uh, hypothetically, if you were an investor and you came to us, you'd say, Marco, um, I want to build up my real estate portfolio. Uh, I'm looking to acquire 5, 10, 20 properties over a course of time, whatever it is. Great. We're going to help you identify those markets. We'll help you understand why those markets make sense. Uh, we'll help you identify those properties within those markets. And this is active inventory that we have, meaning that these are already fully refurbished properties with tenants in place, property management in place. But the bigger question, Jordan, is this. With an investor, it all starts with two things. One, what is that person's investment goals? In other words, what is it they're trying to achieve financially and what is it they're setting out to do? Then you take that and you break it down into a more specific investment criteria. And that could be, okay, I need to acquire 10 properties to achieve my financial goals. It needs to be in this type of market and that type of market. It needs to be a three-bedroom, two-bath home. It needs to generate $1,000 a month gross rental income, et cetera, et cetera. That forms a roadmap. And you as an investor, when you actually do that, everything else becomes very clear. And you can quickly eliminate what doesn't make sense and fit inside your box. And then you can start focusing on what actually does. And then when you start acquiring properties that meet that criteria, guess what? Now you have the numbers that you are trying to achieve. You have that cash flow. And you're on the road to that financial freedom or financial independence. What is typically the minimum amount of capital that people need to get involved in this game in a significant way? Well, I hate to define it as the minimum because you probably have listeners all over the country. And so someone listening in New York, New Jersey, coastal California, Hawaii, um, you know, south the south part of Florida, you know, they, they are looking at properties in their local market in the hundreds of thousands of dollars. And when you stop and think about that, it's kind of crazy because for someone making the median household income of whatever, fifty, sixty thousand dollars $60,000, it may take years and years and years to actually acquire a property all cash. So let me back up and answer your question. <clears throat> when you look at the, the markets that we're in, like the Midwest down through the south towards uh, Texas and on over – a typical house is hundred to $130,000. I'm talking about a detached home, three-bedroom, two-bath. Now, with financing today, as you know, the minimum down payment is 20% with conventional financing. So a $100,000 property with a 20% down payment is a $20,000 investment. That's your down payment. And then you're going to have a few thousand dollars in closing costs. So the short answer to your question is an investor can acquire an income-producing rental property for about $20,000 out-of-pocket plus closing costs. That number could be as low as $15,000, and it could be as high as $25,000, So In general, you're recommending that people stay in that area, uh, not the high-priced high areas, as you said, New York and California and so on. The, the numbers just don't work for most people. They should stay in the middle of the country is what you're saying. Well, you're actually asking a much broader question, uh, and if we've got time, I'm going to drill sure. into it a little bit. Okay, so I, I'm not suggesting that someone 
acquire 100 versus 150 or a $50,000 property, those are all three right answers for the right person. Again, it all goes back to an investor's investment goals and what their criteria is. If you look at what we sell as a company and what our investors are buying, they range from 50000 on the low end, which sounds very, very cheap, to about 150000 on the high end for single-family detached homes. Now, duplexes, fourplexes obviously are going to be more than that. But the criteria here is <clears throat> after you've defined your, your criteria and you know what you need to acquire, now it becomes a matter of what markets make the most sense for me. So let's just hypothetically say it's Kansas City. Most of what we're selling in Kansas City is in the hundred to 120000 price range, even though prices of properties there that are investment grade will be from eighty to $150,000. And so it... it in order for me to suggest a a price point, and therefore you know you calculate a down payment, you need to look at what are the markets that make sense, and what is the property type that I want to acquire in that market um, as part of my portfolio. I, I always use a hundred thousand dollar property because it's just a nice round number. It's easy to work with, um, and a lot of the markets we're in. Uh, in fact, almost all of them have these hundred thousand dollar models, if you will. So. Sorry. You really don't need to be in the market. Uh, you can be living anywhere and invest anywhere, basically, right? Because there are people on the ground who can manage it and collect the rents and so on. Is that right? So people shouldn't think of only investing in where they live. Is that correct? Yeah. And so, interestingly enough, I have a trademark. Um, it's live where you want, invest where it makes sense. And the premise of that is this. If, if you are in these expensive markets like coastal California, um, New York, New Jersey, wherever it may be, you know, you you if you want to buy a single family detached home in that area, it's four, five, six hundred thousand dollars or more. And I need to explain a concept here for your listeners. It's called the rent to value ratio, and this is kind of where I wanted to go a minute ago. If you're in an expensive market, you're going to find your rent to value ratio is going to be fairly low, which which means. That a hundred thousand dollar property in the Midwest, as an example, that property should rent for a thousand dollars a month. So a thousand divided into a hundred thousand is one percent. That's a healthy number. That's actually a good number to, to to shoot for, and that's a target that we work with with our investors all the time. So if you can find properties with a one percent rent to value ratio, you've probably got eighty percent of it licked. Now you still have to do your due diligence, but you want to verify the you know, the numbers, but I can almost guarantee that you're going to have good cash flow, good rate of return, a good cap rate, cash on cash return, et cetera. But you look at a coastal market and you've got four or $500,000 properties that rent for, let's say $2,500 a month. Well, if you do the math, that's only a half percent rent to value ratio. That right there without going any further tells you that you're probably not going to have a favorable rate of return, a favorable cap rate. And besides, as if that wasn't bad enough, think about it this way too. To acquire that $500,000 property with 20% down, you need $100,000. So you need a larger down payment, which you could easily deploy into other better markets and acquire four or five times the number of properties for your portfolio. But here's a big one. In these expensive markets where you have four or $500,000 properties, it doesn't make a good investment because a lot of the downside risk is in the value of the land. What we see in many markets is property values. The land under the structure is what goes up and down tremendously, rapidly, especially in these cyclical markets. So 
they can go down just as fast or faster than they go up in terms of appreciation. And this is why we don't chase appreciation. That's speculative. We like to focus on cash flow first. Where is it prudent to invest? Anyway, I, Jordan, I'm a little bit all over the place here because okay. you're asking questions. Well, that, that was very helpful. It gives people a good guide. Because I think yeah. a lot of cases, people kind of go for the glamorous high price markets, assuming the value is going to go up a lot. But in fact, they can be negative cash flow where the numbers don't work at those high price levels. So I think you've given them a good basis to kind of understand how yeah. not to get wrapped up in the, the glamour of the fancy, more expensive markets. Correct. Correct. Yeah. Don't don't chase. Don't be a, a speculator. Don't chase after appreciation. Focus on prudent investments in solid markets that generate income, that generate a good rate of return, and you'll be very very happy in the long term. What is the difference between being rich and being wealthy in your mind? In in, in its most basic form, um, and I I just did a podcast uh, on this recently. A lot of people seem to think that being rich and wealthy are the same thing. Uh, in some ways, they are, but the reality is this: someone who's rich can can be can be broken a matter of two months if they lost their job. If if they make a million dollars a year and they have a lifestyle that costs them a million dollars a year, well, they're two paychecks from being broke. And so, just because you're rich and you have a lot of possessions doesn't mean you're wealthy. Wealth is measured in terms of time. Someone who's wealthy is able to weather through and and cover their financial obligations month after month. And, and that's, that's the definition of being out of the rat race and being financially free, is you have monthly income, you know, checks in the mail. And if you could do that, you can sustain ups and downs in the economy. If you lose your quote-unquote job, it doesn't matter because guess what? You have income coming in that covers your obligations, and now you're financially free. That's true wealth. Now, there's different types of wealth too, but, yeah. but that's okay. the difference. Very good. We're going to take a break. This is Jordan Goodman of The Money Answer Show. My guest this hour is Marco Santarelli. He's an investor, author, and founder of Narada Real Estate Investments. Uh, you can find out more about him at his website, naradarealestate.com. We'll be back after this. We're always talking business. Talk to an expert. Call now, toll-free, 866-472-5790. That's 866-472-5790. Voice America Business Network. Bob Pritchard has over 30 years of experience as a straight-talking business consultant and author working with some of the top Fortune 500 companies. Now he's come to the Voice America Business Channel to help you and your business. Tune in to the Bob Pritchard Radio Show for information about starting and successfully running a profitable business. From the movers and shakers to great marketing screw-ups, you can't afford to miss a single edition of the Bob Pritchard Radio Show, Tuesdays at 5 p.m. Pacific, 8 p.m. Eastern on Voice America Business. Leadership is a vital skill set in today's competitive global economy. Being a leader is not enough. To succeed, you must optimize your performance and know how to imbue others in your organization with leadership skills. Practical, actionable leadership insights are the focus of Leadership Development News, hosted each Monday at 9 a.m. Pacific, noon Eastern, by Kathy Greenberg and Relly Nadler on the Voice America Business Channel. Doctors Greenberg and Nadler, who coach global leaders on how to be most effective, will share their insights and contacts. The path to leadership excellence begins here. We're always talking business. Talk to an expert. Call now, toll-free, 866-472-5790. That's 866-472-5790. Voice America Business Network. 
You've been listening to The Money Answer Show with Jordan Goodman. If you have a question for Jordan or his guest, please call us now at 866-472-5790. That's 866-472-5790. Now back to Jordan. Welcome back to The Money Answer Show. This is Jordan Goodman, your host. My guest this hour is Marco Santarelli. He's the president and founder of Dorada Real Estate Investments, uh, which is a provider of turnkey cash flow rental property strategies. Uh, the website for him is naradarealestate.com, and you can also find out more at passiverealestateinvesting.com. Welcome back to the show, Marco. Thank you, Jordan. So you have what you call your 10 rules of successful real estate investing, and let's start right with the first one, uh, which is to educate yourself. What do you need to educate yourself about, and how should you do it? Well, educating yourself is critically important. There, you know, There's a saying, the more you learn, the more you earn. And in today's economy, today's financial paradigm, if you will, knowledge is actually the new currency. People who actually understand how markets work are, are armchair um, economists and understand how money works, how finance works. And, and I mean, you're kind of at the heart of all this. They understand where they can leverage their time and their money and create value and generate income. So if you don't educate yourself, you can't have intelligent conversations with your attorney or with your CPA or be able to identify what a good real estate investment is or any type of investment for that matter. And so you're either doomed to follow other people's advice or you're intelligent enough to know what a good deal is and what not and what a, a bad deal is. And so knowledge is critically important. I put that at the top of the list because that's the starting point for everything else is just Educating yourself, reading books, listening to podcasts, listening to your show, and having a good fundamental understanding of how to be a prudent real estate or, or investor in general. And just tell people what education you offer on your sites as far as podcasts and blogs and uh, ebooks and so on. So anything that we offer is free. We, we have a, a blog where we post articles every week. Um, any Anytime... Investors talk to our investment counselors. They're they're just automatically going to be sucked into, um, you know, a round of education. We want to make sure people understand real estate investing and what to do, what not to do, and how to do their due diligence, etc. Um, but we also put out a, a, a weekly podcast, which is free as well. Uh, it is called uh, Passive Real Estate Investing, and that's my vehicle or my platform to educate people on 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 how to evaluate real estate investments, where to find them, how to structure them, how to buy them, et cetera, et cetera. So those are just some of the free um, you know, resources out there. And you can get those things both at PassiveRealEstateInvesting.com and NaradaRealEstate.com. Is that right? Yes, sir. Very good. Okay, your second rule is to set investment goals. So is this for a rate of return or a dollar amount? What kind of investment goals do you have in mind? Okay, so we started touching upon this before, and I know it sounds like it's been used and overused when you hear someone suggest that you set goals. Um, you know, you hear it from Tony Robbins all the way down. But the the reality is, is it is proven time and time and time again after every study that people who write down their goals are far more likely to achieve the level of success that they set out to, especially when it comes to financial independence. It's, it's statistically proven. And I'm not saying you have to make something completely elaborate, but you really should just turn your wishes into goals. If you want to be rich and wealthy, this is the starting point. You write down what it is you're looking for. 
and then you need to be specific. And this is where I think a lot of people fail. And, and this is the difference between a wish and a goal. You need to be specific. Like I will acquire five rental properties in 2017 um, in these markets or at these price points. And you just break that down as clearly and definitively as you possibly can. And then That's we- the buying part. And then do you have goals for income and selling them for appreciation eventually? What, are the, what specific goals do you have on the exit as well as the entrance? Sure. So you can break this down numerically. For example, let's just say you acquire a $100,000 property with 20% down, so it's fully leveraged. Um, typically, that property is going to kick off about $300 a month net, net, net. Okay, net positive cash flow, that's after vacancy allowance, that's after factoring in maintenance and repairs. So let's just say you have an income goal uh, for this year to add $1,500 per month to your income. Well, you need to acquire three of those properties if they're fully leveraged. So this is how you can take the cash flow from a property and work it backwards to, to into whatever your monthly or, or annual income goal is. Uh, from an exit, pers- exit strategy perspective, let me first of all say that I don't necessarily suggest that people ever sell their properties. Now, that doesn't mean you can't liquidate that property and move it to another market. And you know you how you do this. It's through a tax-deferred 1031 exchange. So if you're acquiring property, there's really never a reason other than maybe medical or, or family emergency reasons where you need to sell that property. But if you can take that equity and you need to get out of a market, your exit strategy is not necessarily to sell it for the sake of selling it and, and then pocketing that, that, that equity in terms of capital gains because you're just going to get taxed on it. The better thing to do, and I know I'm going off on a tangent, Jordan, is to take that equity, move it tax deferred into more property, other property, better performing properties in other markets through this 1031 exchange vehicle. And So, so basically you're saying the, the strategy here is to build up a portfolio of income-producing properties, not necessarily to buying and selling them or even exchanging them for, for capital gains. Is that right? And typically, no. That's never, never. Um, you know, that should never be your plan because you don't want to be slapped with capital gains taxes. Um, you lose your income. You lose that monthly income. If you sell your properties, guess what? You don't have that check in the mail every month. No. Now, your third third rule is never to speculate. Now, people think of real estate, and they think of speculation. It goes up, it goes down. You get in, you get the market gets hot, you get out. So why is that not part of your strategy in real estate, is to speculate? Well, back in 2003, 04, 05, and partially into 2006, a lot of people who called them real call themselves real estate investors, quote unquote, were really nothing more than real estate speculators. They were buying properties, typically new construction homes in California, Nevada, Arizona, Florida, and and they were holding them for short periods of time, three, six, 12 months, and then flipping them. And, you know, it's, it was just going from one investor to another and, and someone at the end of the day was left holding the bag. But these, these flippers are nothing more than like stock traders. You're, you're basically you're not trading stock, you're trading property. And so you're really not in it for the cash flow. You're in it because you hope to make a capital gain. You hope to flip it for profit. And and that's what all these shows on TV typically show. They're never showing people buying properties to hold. They're buying them to fix them and flip them and in the hopes of making a chunk of cash as opposed to And you're uh, saying that often does not work out well for people is what you're saying. No, it's speculative. Um, I mean, it were, if you time it right, if you're good at timing, if you're a good trader, yeah, it, you can do well. But it's not a long-term strategy, and, and speculators are not investors, in, in my opinion. 
So your, your fourth rule is to invest for cash flow, not speculation. So wh- why is that better for most people to do cash flow investing instead of uh, investing for appreciation? Well, this dovetails off the last one. You know, the thing is, is are the question is, what do your listeners want? What do you want? You know, if you're looking for financial freedom, financial independence, where you can get out of that rat race and you have your monthly expenses, all of them covered because you have income coming in from your investments. And in this case, it's rental real estate. Well, if you can achieve that level of rental income every month and it pays for all your your expenses, you don't need to work anymore. I mean, you can if you want because you enjoy it, but you're financially free. And so the goal, the primary goal is is cash flow. So you can invest to make chunks of cash or you can invest to make streams of cash. And I'm more I'm happier um, investing to have cash flow income coming in instead of chunks of cash because guess what if you get sick or you can't you know you you can't flip properties anymore because something has happened where you're not capable of doing that well then your income stops but if you have residual income then you will continue to get that income for the rest of your life and then you could pass it on to your heirs your estate your next rule is to be market agnostic so that means things change some markets get hot some markets get cold What, what do you mean by being market agnostic well, we as a company are, are completely agnostic across the board. We're not married to any markets, any providers, any, anybody or anything. Being market agnostic means this. If you look at the United States, it's made up of over 400 metropolitan statistical areas. So it's not like there's one real estate market. And this is something that drives me kind of crazy when I listen to the mainstream media and they talk about real estate. They're referring to this housing market. Well, I want to stop those guys and say, well, show me the housing market. What housing market are you talking about? The thing is, is that we don't have one real estate market in the United States. We have hundreds and hundreds of real estate markets. So what happens in San Diego is different than what happens in Detroit, which is different than what happens in Kansas City, Missouri. And so when you are an investor, you need to look at these markets at a granular level, individually. What's happening within that one market? It has its own economy. It has its own housing characteristics. In fact, you could even take one of those metropolitan statistical areas and break them down into smaller units like the suburbs and the neighborhoods within those suburbs. So you need to think in a gra- more granular fashion. Um, I don't know if I'm answering your question. How, how can the average person, you know, you're living in Kansas City and you want to invest in San Diego or Orlando or something. I mean, there's a lot of knowledge you need to know not only the, the market, but markets within the markets as to what a good place to invest. That, that's, that's a lot of knowledge for the average person to, to figure out where the best markets to be are. There are savvy investors out there that can figure it out and they know because they follow it. But for many people, and again, this goes back to that time thing I was telling you about before. And this is why a company and a service like ours exists is because we have already done a lot of that due diligence. We can provide that information to investors. We walk them through um, that whole process and, and educate them along the way. But being market agnostic means that you can sit down at your computer and you can start doing some Google searches to find specific information about these local markets in terms of housing, employment, uh, population growth, um, industry, unemployment rates and trends. You, you'd be amazed how much you can dig up online, not just through my podcast, but just online in all kinds of sources and resources. Yeah, and then once you figure that out, uh, if you were to say the one factor that would be most effective in predicting real estate growth, what would it be of all the ones you just mentioned? 
Well, I think at the heart of it is is jobs and job growth because when you have a market that has a healthy job market, uh, you will see people stay there, work there, make an income, and be able to pay their bills. Not only that, it drives people in from other markets. I mean, tex- Texas and the Texas markets is a great example of this. The reason Dallas, Fort Worth, Houston, San Antonio, and these Texas markets have been on fire for the last three years and even longer, actually, but especially the last three years, is because they have had a massive uh, net in migration. And a lot of these people are being sucked in from outside states, particularly California. And it's not just people. It's corporations like Toyota and a whole bunch of large corporations are moving to a business-friendly environment where they have lower taxes, less regulation, and they bring jobs with them. So guess what? People move. People are mobile. They migrate. And and when you bring in the jobs, you bring in more demand for housing. Guess what? That demand for housing means you need more housing units. Yeah, that's what really drives it ultimately is employment trends. Very good. Okay, we're going to take a break. Uh, This is Jordan Goodman of The Money Answer Show. My guest this hour is Marco Santarelli. He's the uh, investor and president of Narada Real Estate Investments. You can find out more about him at naradarealestate.com and also passiverealestateinvesting.com. We'll be back after this. Stocks, bonds, investment opportunities, financial news, and talk. We can help. Call us now toll-free, 866-472-5790, 866-472-5790, Voice America Business Network. Have you had a chance to check out Voice America's online magazine and blog, Press Pass? If you love our hosts and shows, check out articles that give an even deeper perspective. Plus, topics about health and fitness, movie reviews, philosophy, business tips and tactics, spirituality, positive thought, current events, and even more about your favorite host. It's just a click away at VAPressPass.com. That's VAPressPass.com. VA Press Pass by Voice America. All access, all the time. From the boardroom to you, Voice America Business Network. You've been listening to The Money Answer Show with Jordan Goodman. If you have a question for Jordan or his guest, please call us now at 866-472-5790. That's 866-472-5790. Now back to Jordan. Welcome back to The Money Answer Show. This is Jordan Goodman, your host. My guest this hour is Marco Santarelli. He's an investor, founder, and president at Narada Real Estate Investments, which is a nationwide provider of turnkey cash flow rental property services. Uh, you can find out more at his website, naradarealestate.com, and also passiverealestateinvesting.com. Welcome back to the show, Marco. Thank you, Jordan. So we were going through your 10 rules of successful investing, and the sixth one is to take a top-down approach. What do you mean by that? So a lot of investors make, I'll call it a mistake, they make the mistake of seeing a quote unquote good deal. You know, they get presented a property. It could be in their local market. It could be elsewhere, but it looks good. And all the numbers on paper look great. Um, you know, and some, sometimes they look phenomenal because, you know, these properties happen to be in depressed markets or, or they happen to be in war zones. So the cost of acquisition is really low relative to a high rental amount that it could bring in. So on paper, it looks great, but they make the mistake of being so hyper-focused on the property that they forget to back away 
away and look at the forest, meaning look at the neighborhood that it's in and look at the market. So taking a top-down approach simply means that you need to start off by selecting the markets that make the most sense for you, that align with your investment goals. And then you, 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 you evaluate that market in terms of its health, its economics, its future growth, potential growth, past growth, and all that stuff. Then you can start looking at specific neighborhoods within that market that align again with your criteria and your investment goals. So you might be one of you might be one of those people that focus on only A grade neighborhoods, or you might be a person who is focused on you know more um, middle market, median income type neighborhoods like what I call B grade neighborhoods. Then from there you look at the properties. See, people do it backwards. And they look they at the properties first, and then the overall economic environment, like the employment trends, might not support uh, potential appreciation or stable rents, is what you're saying. Yeah, and, and just a really quick example, 10, 10 seconds here. Um, I can show you some really nice-looking homes that have phenomenal numbers on them. You know, the, the cash flow and everything looks great, but, but what I'm not going to tell you is that this property happens to be on a blighted street with missing properties in the middle of kind of a kind of a war zone in the heart of Detroit. Uh, well, that changes the the whole scenario, doesn't it? You know, yes, it, it, <laughs> so you got to look at the whole picture. Your seventh rule is to diversify across markets. Is that because things go up and down? They're cyclical, and you want to have a, a bunch of different properties and a bunch of different places. Yeah, that's 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 part of it. Um, you know, if you look at any asset class or anything that you invest in, you you do it because you want to diversify. You don't want to have all your eggs in one basket. And I'm not saying that's a good or bad thing. You know, you know, Warren Buffett will say, you know, put everything in your one basket and watch that basket closely. Um, but if if you're going to diversify and lower your downside risk and and maximize your upside returns, what you want to do is you want to diversify within this asset class called real estate. And the way you do it, and I have a very rough rule of thumb, I call it three to five in three to five. And what that simply means is that you acquire three to five income properties in one particular market, whatever you decide to start with. You get you get that footprint there, and then you look at another market that's geographically different. Typically, that'll be in another state, and you acquire another three to five properties. It could be more, but at at the very least, you want to have three to five properties in at least three markets. And so, it could be more than that if you find opportunities elsewhere. And that's how you diversify using real estate because now you have your eggs in different geographic baskets but you're still within that same asset class and you you down you lower your downside risk if, if something was to happen do you always recommend that people visit their properties before they buy them because some real estate people say you never have to visit them well there's a lot of quote unquote gurus out there um that will say always invest within a one hour or two hour or three hour radius of where you live why because you can drive out there and you can see it you can touch it even if you're not managing it, you know that that's 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 bad advice. Because if you live where I live in you know South Orange County, California, where everything is you know very expensive and overinflated, well, I can't drive within a three-hour radius of where I live to find anything that makes sense. So that's bad advice because I'm going to end up investing in something that doesn't make sense and doesn't provide me the rate of return that I I need as an investor. So you look at people who invest in the stock market. They, by default, are geographically diversified. They, if they're investing in Coca-Cola, it's in Atlanta. If they're investing in something else, it's in New York. So it only makes sense from an investment perspective to diversify 
in different geographic markets because every, again, that saying all real estate is local, every local market has its own economy and its own fundamentals. So it you should be diversifying across markets. So you're saying if diversify across the country, should you still visit the properties wherever they may be before you buy them or is that not necessary? Oh, I'm, I'm sorry. I kind of missed your question altogether there. Um, statistically, well, you don't have to go out. Statistically, only one in 20 of our clients actually go out and kick the dirt and, and, and visit the property. I have properties I've never seen with my own eyes to this day. Oh. I mean, I've, I've got photos, but I've never had to be there. They're professionally managed by professional managers. I don't need to go there. I don't need to see it. I don't need to touch it. It doesn't change a thing materially. It, it makes me feel better, maybe, but it doesn't change anything materially. So that leads to your eighth rule, which is to use professional property management. So that's in acquiring it, maintaining it, collecting the rents. What actually do the property managers do, and what is a, a appropriate fee that they should be charging uh, for providing those services? Well, I like to think as property management, I like to think as, of property management as being probably the most thankless job out there. Um, it's it's a difficult job, and most people don't want to do it. What you should have is full-service professional property management by a firm that does nothing but management. And if you have a great property manager, because I, I jokingly say you live and die by your property manager, if you have great management, you have eliminated a lot of your concerns and worries because they're going to properly qualify and screen the right tenants, place them in there, take any calls that need to be you know, um, addressed, collect the rents. Now, property management companies will charge anywhere from 8 to 10%, generally speaking, as a street rate um, on, on the monthly collected rent. And so, so that's a normal fee. Whether it's 8, 9, 10, even 11 or 12%, for me, my time is much more valuable than, than what I'm paying a property manager to, to manage and oversee my property and deal with tenants. So I'm happy paying that 10% per month. Um, and then you recommend rent. property management companies in different markets, or is there some national firms that do it everywhere, or is it typically a localized uh, service? Yeah, that's a good question. Th there aren't really any national real estate uh, property management companies. I mean, there are a few, but they're not completely nationwide in scope. But you know, back to what we do as a company and the services we provide, under one roof, we literally provide everything the investor needs to invest. It's completely full service and turnkey from insurance to management to lenders to inspectors, et cetera, et cetera. Uh -huh. Okay. Um, so then your ninth rule is to maintain control. So what, what exactly do you mean by maintain control? Since you're not kind of on the ground <laughs> seeing what's going on in these properties, you're controlling the property management or what do you mean by that? Okay. So you know, there's two ways to invest in real estate. Well, there's more, but generally speaking, you can invest in paper assets, which are nothing more than stocks, you know, shares in, in a REIT, like a real estate investment trust or some sort of real estate company. Well, you're not, you don't have direct ownership here. And what I'm saying by ha maintaining control is to be a direct investor, actually be the owner of that property, own it. You are the CEO of the company. You call the shots. You determine what happens. Now, you're going to hire a property manager to manage the asset for you. But you own it, you have all the benefits of that real estate, and you're outsourcing the management to a, a management company. So what I'm saying is own the real estate, don't invest in funds and partnerships and other paper-based investments like securities. Uh -huh. uh, and your final rule is to leverage your investment capital. Leverage can kind of work both directions. Uh, when is leverage appropriate and when is, is leverage too much? Well, we should think of debt as having, uh, you know, as being either good debt or bad debt. 
you know, bad debt is obviously, you know, credit that you run up to go on vacations or buy doodads, you know, cars and other, you know, things that do not produce income, that cash flow. Good debt is debt where you can acquire at one rate and be able to use that, leverage that debt to acquire cash flow, income generating assets like rental real estate. So that's good debt and it's called a mortgage. And if, if a lender is willing to lend you up to 80% of the acquisition price of rental real estate, and in fact, many lenders are tripping over themselves to do this. If they're willing to lend you 80% of the acquisition, yet you own 100% of that property, you have 100% of all the benefits, the tax benefits, et cetera, why wouldn't you do that all day long? And so by leveraging your investment capital, it means this. Let's say you have $100,000 to invest. You could buy one $100,000 property and get $1,000 a month gross rental income and maybe net about $700 a month. Or you could take that $100,000 and acquire, I'm just rounding the numbers off here, but let's just say five $100,000 properties, each of those generating income, positive cash flow every month. Now, you have a debt service on each one, but a, the aggregate total of the cash flows from those five properties is going to be considerably more than your net income off the one property you purchased all cash. So leverage magnifies your overall rate of return. It magnifies your cash flow and it accelerates your wealth creation because guess what? You are now benefiting from the appreciation and the equity growth on five properties instead of one property. So if that market goes up 5% or 10% over the next year, it's going to be five properties times that appreciation rate, not one property. And you have more tax benefits because now you can take that magical depreciation on each of those properties uh, over the course of 27 and a half years, which is what the IRS allows you to do. So it's if also, have, with, with interest rates being low, it makes sense. If interest rates were higher or started rising, how would that impact uh, the leverage uh, and the positive uh, nature of leverage here? Well, I mean, it just makes sense that if, if interest rates do go up, then your debt service goes up a little bit every every month. And so that just effectively lowers your cash flow. But what we often find too, you know, there were people investing in real estate when interest rates were 8% and 10 and 12% and even 18%. What what we tend to find in a lot of markets is that everything goes up, not just mortgages for people who are homeowners, but the rents go up as well. Sometimes and often they go up in lockstep with property values and the cost of ownership. So even though it affects your cash flow and your rate of return up or down, um, you're still net positive on all of those things. So but remember, your tenant's paying your mortgage, not you. You, you know, you have a mortgage on your property, but your tenant is buying the property for you. That rent pays off all those expenses and your debt service, and what's left over is net cash flow. Indeed. Um, so those are your ten uh, successful rules. Now you have a, um, a ebook that people can get. To. How can they get that ebook that goes into all this in more detail? So both on both of the websites you just mentioned, we have this uh, this this ebook I wrote called "The Ultimate Guide to Passive Real Estate Investing," and it, it's it's more than a primer. It's actually an educational tool. It'll talk about a lot of things that we talked about here today. Uh, so it'll help you even if you know you're not looking to invest in real estate, but it definitely will set you on the right road. And again, people can get that either at NaradaRealEstate.com or PassiveRealEstateInvesting.com. Yes, sir. We're going to take a break. Uh, this is uh, Jordan Goodman on The Money Answer Show. My guest this hour is Marco Santarelli, uh, who is president of NaradaRealEstate.com. We'll be back after this. 
From the boardroom to you. Voice America Business Network. We hear it and read about it every day in the news. America is heading over a fiscal cliff. Home prices are still receding and unemployment growing. How can you preserve and increase your wealth in this kind of economy? Tune in to Turning Hard Times into Good Times with host Jay Taylor. Jay will explain the decline of our monetary system and the economy and will give you winning investment ideas and the tools to protect and increase your wealth. Turning Hard Times into Good Times with Jay Taylor can be heard Tuesdays at 3 p.m. Eastern Time, 12 noon Pacific Time on the Voice America Business Channel. What if every day was a good day for business? Because every decision you made was the best choice. What if you could receive regular input from credible sources and could acquire all the precise information you need exactly when you need it so you can make the right decision every single time? Because There's More challenges you to make better decisions. Join Laura Ellis every Monday at 9 a.m. Eastern, 6 a.m. Pacific, and 2 p.m. GMT on the Voice America Business Channel and learn how to think differently for better decisions, better business. Get the news on our shows and other happenings by following us on Twitter. Find us at VoiceAmericaTRN or Twitter.com forward slash VoiceAmericaTRN. You've been listening to The Money Answer Show with Jordan Goodman. If you have a question for Jordan or his guest, please call us now at 866-472-5790. That's 866-472-5790. Now back to Jordan. Welcome back to The Money Answer Show. This is Jordan Goodman, your host. My guest this hour is Marco Santarelli, uh, president of Narada Real Estate Investments. Uh, Websites you can find out more about him are naradarealestate.com and passiverealestateinvesting.com. Welcome back to the show, Marco. Thank you, Jordan. So we've gone through all the different rules. How do you evaluate whether there's going to be a good deal or a bad deal? I mean, numbers is part of it, but there's got to be a certain gut feel to it as well to know if you're getting into a good or bad deal. Well, there's no way to fully answer this question in the time we have left here today, but I can give some rules of thumb and some guidelines. And, and actually, we've, started, we've already touched upon some of this because one of my rules, as you recall, is take a top-down approach. You always want to start with a market that makes sense, a market that has growth and jobs, and you have people moving in, and you have housing demand, which is pushing rental prices up along with everything else. So you want a place where there's stability and jobs, okay? It, I don't care if it's a boring market. You know, It doesn't have to be an exciting uh, supermarket. I want to sleep well at night knowing that I'm just getting a check in the mail every month from my rental income or from my rental properties. But rental properties need to be in a good market. They need to be in good neighborhoods. You have to identify the type of investor uh, tenant that you want. You know, do you want a Macy's tenant? Do you want a Nordstrom's tenant? Do you want a Walmart tenant? When you can come to grips with that, then it helps you to define your criteria. Now you look at the numbers. Once you've got all that out of the way, uh, you've identified the market neighborhood, you've identified the property, it's in good shape, there's no deferred maintenance. Uh, what you want to look at is what is the gross cash flow? What is my net cash flow? What is my cap rate? And more importantly, what is my cash on cash return? If I put twenty thousand dollars down on a hundred thousand dollar property, and you know I'm I'm making um, uh, let's just say seven hundred dollars a month, you know that's about eight thousand a year. Well, eight thousand into twenty thousand dollars is a rate of return of what thirteen, fourteen percent, somewhere around there. Okay, well my cash on cash is fourteen percent. I'm very happy with that. So this is what you need to do to help evaluate the property. And again, I'm trying to go quickly here because we have limited time. Um, Now, also, you're saying to use leverage in these cases, but that means that for the most part, people are going to have to have good credit to be able to get 
80% on an investment property. What if you do, how do you proceed in real estate investing if you don't have great credit to be able to qualify for those kind of mortgages? Well, there's two basic things you can do. One is you just invest for now all cash. So assuming you have the capital, you can acquire properties all cash. You don't need to finance them. It just lowers your your overall cash on cash return. But if you're working on your credit and you improve it, then you can do a cash out refi later and pull out 70 to 80% of the investment capital that you put into that property and now reinvest that capital. And now guess what? You have the financing you would have had if you had good credit in the first place. But for some people who are out of listening to the show that are not residents of the US or you have um, your credit challenged, there are asset-based lenders. So you don't have to have stellar credit in all situations. There are portfolio lenders that will lend to you at a higher interest rate, which still makes the deal work but it's an alternative option to financing. It's a way of getting you started and then you build your credit over time and then you can get better deals later is what you're saying. Yes, exactly. Uh Uh-huh, very good. Uh, Okay, what would you say would be some of the markets you would like right now uh, that are have good appreciation that are not kind of too hot, as you say? Some of the things in uh, New York and New Jersey and California are too hot for you. What, What would be some markets you would like right now? Do um, you want to know which ones I'm recommending or which ones I'm saying to avoid because they're too hot? No, I'd say which ones you're recommending. Um, well, right now, we're in 11 markets. Atlanta, Birmingham, Columbia, Dallas, Houston, Indianapolis, Jacksonville, Kansas City, Little Rock, Memphis, and San Antonio. Of those, the ones that are more favorable um, are probably Indianapolis, Kansas City, Little Rock, Arkansas, Uh, and maybe Birmingham, Alabama, and Memphis. And the reason I say those is those are definitely linear, not cyclical markets. They have smooth and steady growth. The numbers make a lot of sense. Um, They're just all around really good markets that have proven themselves to be exactly what you should look for as an investment market. And what would be some markets you think that are too hot and overhyped and and, uh, just too high right now? Well, any any market here, here's that quick metric. Again, look at the rent to value ratio in your market. This is what I want your listeners to do. Look at what the median priced home is and what the median uh, uh, rental rate is for that same property. So if it's 1%, great, you, you, you could do something in your local market. But if you're in a market where your houses are $400,000 and they're renting for $2,000, well, that's a 0.5% rent to value ratio. And that's not going to make sense. It's just not going to make sense in many different ways. And we can get into the details of that you know, with, with your listeners if, if they want. They can call up our investment counselors. We can you know, drill down and explain it and help them lay out a strategy. But that's just a quick metric. There's other things you could look at. But, but um, people but do it anyway. I mean, you say it doesn't make sense, yet people continue to pour money. In some cases, it's foreign money, right? People putting money in from China or India as a way of getting their money out of those countries. That's, that's what pushes up these markets probably more than they should economically make sense to do. That's very true for Florida markets. That's true for the East Coast and and Vancouver, Canada. I mean, that's notorious. It's been blown out of the water in terms of its property values because there has been so much money from Asia coming in. Now they put a stop to that. Now there's a 15% tax on on funds coming in from foreign nationals. So you're going to see that market crash here soon. I mean, it's already started. Really? That that tax is going to make such a difference, I mean? Well, sure. I mean, you, you take you take the demand away, and and now there's less people buying. 
Uh, and so now you have an increasing supply, decreasing demand, and it's just basic fu economic fundamentals. You know, the supply and demand ratio has changed, and so property values come down. And this is true for any market. All markets work on supply and demand. That's why jobs is a strong driver of property values. You have growing jobs. People move in. They need a place to live. It pushes up demand for housing units. And if there aren't any, well, then there's more demand for the existing stock of inventory, and that pushes up prices and pushes up rents. Are there some places that are overbuilt? Right now, there's too much supply and not enough demand? Uh, well, definitely the Texas markets. <laughs> That's why mm -hmm. we've seen so much appreciation in the last two, three years, above the mean, above the net normal average, which I don't like to see. I like to see smooth and steady growth of 4 to 7% per year in terms of appreciation. That keeps up with you know, what we might call more real inflation instead of nominal inflation. Um, but yeah, I mean, the coastal markets for sure, um, parts of Florida, Phoenix, uh, Las Vegas are, are guilty of being, um, you know, hyper um, active, so a little overinflated. Overinflated. So p part of what you do is you offer so-called real estate investment groups. People can sign up for free online. Tell us what services you offer to these groups that you're connecting people online. So... I think to clarify what you just said, it's important that listeners understand that we don't charge them a dime ever before, during, or after any transaction. The way our model is built is we're very much like a real estate brokerage. In fact, we are a real estate brokerage. So we get compensated when there is a, a transaction, a sale that has occurred, and we're paid on the seller side, not the investor side, who is the buyer. Um, and that helps us to be completely unbiased and agnostic. We're not married to any market or any provider or builder or you know inspector or lender or anything like that. And and so this is why we can help people become objective, unbiased investors and prudently build their portfolio in the way that makes the most sense. Our compensation doesn't come from you; it comes from you know the sell side of the transaction. In effect, you're representing, you're, you're offering many different possibilities, but you're representing the sellers and helping them sell their properties. Well, we're, we're representing the sellers to sell their properties um, across the board. So we're not in favor of one more than the other. What we're really mostly in favor of is the buyer, the buyer's best interest, because we need to retrofit or match their investment goals and their criteria that we talked about before to the right market and the right neighborhoods and properties and the right team of people. So we have all these resources in our network under our roof. We call that our, you know, our network or our group. Um, and it, it's all available to an investor, but we don't match them up until we have an understanding of what it is you're trying to do. We have about a minute left. Why don't you just kind of summarize what a difference it can make in people's investment portfolio to have a diversified portfolio of real estate and rental income as we've been talking about here? Well, if you if you've got cash in the bank and you're saving, um, I you know get your cash out is my opinion because you're actually losing money with negative interest rates coming and and very little interest. Um, if you factor in inflation, you're actually losing money every month, every year. Uh, the stock market scares the bejesus out of me. Um, I think it's overly inflated. I think it's due for a massive correction. So that's really not the place where you want to have a large portion of your your income. I believe in hard assets, whether it's gold, silver, or anything else. It's a hard asset. Real estate is the ultimate hard asset. It generates income. It has tax benefits. Um, it's tangible. It has utility value and real value. Um, and you can leverage it up to 80%. You can't do that with any other leverage or asset class. Very good. We've well, made a good case for it, and now people learned an awful lot about how to do uh, passive income real estate investing in effect. 
Uh, my guest this hour has been Marco Santarelli. Uh, he is a um, the president and founder of Narada Real Estate Investments. You can find out more about him at naradarealestate.com and also his website, passiverealestateinvesting.com. Thanks so much for being a guest on The Money Answer Show, Marco. Thank you, Jordan. And we'll be back with another edition of The Money Answer Show next week. Goodbye for now. Thank you for joining Jordan Goodman and The Money Answer Show. If you have a question for Jordan, please visit his website at www.moneyanswers.com. And be sure to tune in every Monday at 12 p.m. Pacific Standard Time right here on Voice America Business. See you.